G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 17 Review. And wow, what a wild and wacky weekend of football we have witnessed. This was officially the round of upsets. So many that I have got just two in my tipping from eight games thus far. Of course, one game still to be played Monday evening in Perth between West Coast and North Melbourne. we got heaps to talk about in this bizarre weekend of footy. This podcast always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. As I say, a very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. Well, Finey, we've got a different team on top of the ladder. We've got a new uh, entrant into the eighth. And your Saints, after being virtually having their eulogy written for them, are right back in the hunt for a final eight spot. And, of course, the big mover, me and the tips, it's not all over. I mean, I've been taking the cleaners to you ritually year after year, but I pulled another two back on you. Who knows? In this topsy-turvy 2021 could I pull off the greatest comeback of all time? I'll say this much, as long as we get weekends like this, tipping's going to be very volatile. Well, I'll tell you something else, Finey, that though the football world may be very uncertain, one thing you can count on certainty with is the best hamburger in the known universe. That is true. The footy's hotting up, but the sizzle on the grill at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park... Andrew's Hamburgers, that is absolutely a permanent fixture. And when you talk about a beautiful feed on a cold winter's night in Melbourne, how about wrapping your laughing gear around a big Andrew's Hamburger and some of their beautiful French fries. Oh, they're not actually. They're good Aussie chips. They're the big chips straight out of the fryer, hot but not greasy. They will be your absolute passport to winter joy and... You won't be feeling the cold in a West Point property's appointed home. Think about those beautiful floor-heated, underfloor-heating radiator bars. And they are powered, in fact, by hot water, is my understanding. Very economical and very much in keeping with a small footprint. Well, so not only will you have the best-looking house in the street, but thanks to, thanks to Nick Spartels and the boys, you'll be cosy warm without putting a hole in the ozone. Talk about considerable ingenuity and technology in those builds. All right. Sorry, I didn't mean to stop you mid-plug there. These plugs are becoming more elaborate by the week. I'm going to keep this one simple, though, because when you want statistics, you want them simple, easy to digest and useful in any argument. And you'll find them at Stats Insider. They are the best sports data analysts in the caper sampling 
an event more than 10,000 times to give you the best possible and probable outcomes. More than 15 sports across the globe they work on and some great writing too on their website. Check it out at statsinsider.com.au and give them a follow on Twitter at Stats Insider. Well, let's waste no more time. Like I said, a whole heap of upsets this weekend. Some very, very interesting and significant results to analyse, scrutinise and hypothesise over. So let's do it right now. On Footyology, wrap around. First game of round 17 was in Adelaide on Thursday evening and it was a big one, a battle of two top eight teams, Port Adelaide taking on Melbourne and another convincing win to the Demons. If there was any concerns about their status over recent weeks, probably been alleviated by this powerful 31-point win. The final scores, Melbourne 12-14, 86 Defeating Port, 8-7-55. The goal kickers, three to McDonald, three to Petrarca, three to Cozzy Pickett, and singles to Jackson, Spargo, and Fritch. For the power, two to Georgiades, two to Dixon, singles to Amon, Wines, Rosie, McKenzie. Well, pretty even start. Melbourne got a bit of a break in that second term with five goals to three. And really just held the power at arm's length after that. Uh, always appeared to be in control of the game. I've got to admit, finally, I came away from this one thinking for all the hand-wringing about Port, you know, not being able to beat teams above them, but dispatching teams below them. Uh, I don't know if there's any great mystery about it. I, I think Port are a really solid team. I think they're good defensively. I think they're good offensively. I think their midfield's reasonably deep, but I just think pound for pound talent-wise across the board, they're not quite at the same level as the top few sides in the cop. How do you see it? I'm really interested because my takeaway from this game was something that I thought about prior to the first bounce, and that is that the team that gets beaten here, unless we have a real sort of nail-biter and one of those games where you say both teams walk away with head held high, the loser from this game, really reputation-wise, and I know that what the media and the public says should be protected from the players in what they call that bubble or the four walls, but it does seep through. And I felt that the team that lost here would really be a side whose premiership credentials might be tarnished beyond repair in season 2021. And I think that's what's happened with Port Adelaide and, of course, the other side of that coin is Melbourne, who have gone through a disappointing month of football on the scoreboard, losing a couple of games, now return to Melbourne from that win in Adelaide with their credentials re-established and really have an opportunity now to honestly launch at that elusive flag, the one that's eluded them for over half a century. As far as the game's concerned, it was also important for Melbourne to see that Cozzy Pickett, so important, his vitality in that forward line was instrumental, I think, in launching this season early, got back to his best form. We know Petrarca's a match winner. We know McDonald in is a dangerous forward. If he's burst in the third quarter, it was just that. So that forward line that has come under a fair bit of criticism in recent weeks really functioned much better. What did you make of Ben Brown's addition? Uh, I thought he was good. I, I thought he... 
he added something. He uh, seemed to be really concentrating on being mobile, and I think that helps. And I, I look, I just think McDonald clearly needs some sort of foil. And uh, I, yeah, it, it made me think that Brown's more likely to provide that than Sam Wiedemann, I think. And um, they're sort of a good complement to each other. I think they're both pretty mobile. There's no doubt about that. You know, one would tend to play high, the other one closer to goal. But we saw with those couple of goals McDonald kicked in the third quarter that that can really alternate at times. They definitely need a second key target. I, I thought Brown did enough or showed enough to indicate that he's more likely to be that man come finals time. Do you agree with that? I certainly agree with his mobility being a bigger asset to Melbourne than Sam Wiedemann's, I guess his strength is contested marking in a pack, bringing the ball to ground. As much as Cosie Pickett is dangerous at ground level, they don't really have one or more importantly, two sort of super dangerous drop of the ball forwards, which means that just competing and bringing the ball to the ground isn't necessarily uh, a big win for the Demons. Whereas Brown, if he's stretching the back line and taking one tall defender on a tour of duty, then yes, I absolutely agree. I think that is the better version. It looks like Ben Brown might have a spot in that team. Now, Port Adelaide, that midfield of theirs, and we've, said, we've mentioned it, how often do we look at a team that is struggling in the modern game? And when I say modern, let's say the last five to 10 years and noted that there's not enough midfield depth. And I've got to say, they need to bolster that midfield. It will probably come in years to come. They've got some good young players. We know that. But at the moment, too much falls to Ollie Wine and Travis Bowick. I, I feel like the, the uh, failure, or not failure, but the fact that they haven't been able to have the the three young Tyros, if you like, of Rosie, Dersma, Butters in that team together has really cost them. They It, it just costs them that little bit of spark and excitement, little bit of pace, little bit of unpredictability. Uh, we saw Butters back, but, you know, he got injured again. Dersma, I think, has been a big loss. You know, Rosie, I think, is better for the presence of the other two. They're just a bit too pedestrian for me without those three in that side and firing, which is a good sign, I guess, for years to come. But at the moment, I think it's fair to say that they're they're a bit less, there's a bit less substance about them without those three in there and firing as a group. Yeah, spot on. And it indicates to me, without those players, that they don't have a heck of a lot of depth around it. Why do I say that? Because when a top four team with or top four aspirant is revolve, revolving door a player like say Sam Mays in and out of the side they've run out of ideas so we know that Rockcliffe has been either not available because of well now it's deep vein thrombosis or maybe not in the form that warrants a spot in the team but otherwise it's those injuries to young players that I think has stretched their depth and now Port Adelaide look like a side, I'm not saying are a side, look like a side that will be playing in the bottom half of the eight in the finals and even at that level, be quite susceptible. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, situation. I mean, look, they're still level on points for that top four spot. 
Their run home is manageable. You know, they've got, uh, well, they've got a tough one next week. They've got Collingwood, GWS, Adelaide, Carlton, and the Bulldogs. Speaking of next week, uh, yeah, this game's taken on a different complexion. Now Port have to come to Melbourne to play St Kilda at Marvel Stadium. That game on Saturday evening, 7.25. And the Demons have a Saturday twilight clash with Hawthorne at the MCG. And you'd certainly be backing them to win that one. All right, big Thursday night game that was. Uh, a not quite so big game on the Friday evening. Let's have a chat about that. Friday evening, Marvel Stadium saw Essendon taking on Adelaide. And it was a resounding win to the Bombers by 63 points, as a matter of fact, and a bleak night for the Crows, who posted their lowest ever score in 30 seasons of AFL football. A dark night for a proud football club. The final scores, 11 inaccuracy, kept this margin being a lot bigger. 11 goals, 18, 84, defeating Adelaide's Miserable, two goals, nine, 21. The goal kickers, three to young Archie Perkins. Great game from him. Two to Peter Wright. Singles to Hooker, Jones, McDonald, Tip and Woody, Snelling, Stringer and Waterman. For Adelaide, well, just give me a second, Murphy and Schomburg, who had the tagging responsibilities on Darcy Parrish. Finally, the... Uh, Framework for this game was laid out pretty early and it was Adelaide just trying to maintain possession, frustrate the Bombers, pick their way through the Essendon defences and it worked for about 15 minutes. But once Essendon upped the ante a bit, the Crows just didn't have enough skill uh, to be able to hold them off and their whole game fell apart and it was terrible stuff. Just one goal to half time. I kicked another one in the third quarter, but then two behinds in the last quarter. Essendon, as I said, could have won this one by a lot more. But uh, unusually for the Bombers, um, it, it was a methodical win, really. They haven't necessarily had a lot of them. Uh, didn't really ever get out of third gear, but still won going away. And uh, keeping their top eight hopes alive. Uh, the Crows, though, well, we know they're on a rebuilding mission. They're going to have the occasional game like this. I'm not sure if it's throw the baby out with the bathwater, but certainly uh, a few things to make Coach Matthew Nix have a think about over the next week. If I would have told you or any other supporter of the Bombers or even football fan that Darcy Parrish would have a not just relatively quiet game, a quiet game and... You know, you've got to give full credit to young Schoenberg of Adelaide for applying the most successful tag on him this season. Merritt still very effective, but no other Essendon player really particularly pick up the slack in the midfield. It's not as though Langford stepped up with 40 possessions. Then you might ask yourself how Essendon would get enough of the ball up forward to dominate a team in a game of football. Well, the answer was interesting. It was the half-back line that has been so effective this year, even though Sons, Dyson, Heppel, that means without for our non-French-speaking listeners, the fact is that that back line not only was rewarded by keeping Adelaide to their lowest ever score under a roof, it wasn't played in torrential rain, 
but also launched many of the forward forays. I'm talking about a great game by Redmond. Laverde continues his rise and rise after a moderate career for, what, seven years as a forward? I mean, it really has taken a long time for Laverde to find his best football. We know that Ridley is an all-Australian footballer. He is draped in class every time he takes the field. And that half-back line not only denied any systematic forward entry by Adelaide, and I know Taylor Walker wasn't playing, but that's not the point. The point is they filled the gaps beautifully, but they have an attacking edge to them that really is, I think, modern football, isn't it, rebounding off the half-back line? And that's not only where they won the game, that is also where they set the record by keeping Adelaide to the lowest ever. What a backline that's become, Rowan. Yeah, and I think uh, Nick Hind, another really important. Oh, God, sorry, sorry. Maybe that's my second kill the blind spot. He's he's the main conduit out of the backline with his speed and run. Yeah, no, he's he's had a terrific season for them. Uh, Crows have definitely got some issues up forward, haven't they? We know Tex has had a a real renaissance this year, and no doubt he was very sadly missed, but. See, Billy Frampton doesn't convince me. You know, he doesn't do enough and then he's kicking. I think he's got something like 2-9 for the season or something. So they just don't convert. I mean, that Himmel, no Himmelberg either. So they're really short on forward targets, I think. Um, and, you know, a couple of the, the veteran players continuing to sort of hold their performance up. I thought Rory Weed was pretty reasonable for them. Brody Smith, okay. Paul Seedsman, but... I mean, it's the same names, isn't it, really? So you need some of those younger guys, and there's a lot of them, to really step up, I think, over the next few games this season and going into next year. Look, Essendon have their issues too. I'm still not convinced by their forward structure necessarily. Kale Hooker's looking pretty pretty old at the moment um, and uh, not necessarily a lot in reserve on the key position front. Young Zach Reid, of course, out for the... Rest of the season now with stress fractures of the back. James Stewart, I'm still a bit undecided about whether he's a long-term proposition as a key defender. But um, no doubt, overall, this has been a really encouraging season for the Bombers, regardless of whether they make the top eight or not. And look, it's quite possible they could. They've got a pretty reasonable run to the line. Uh, Do you reckon they'll make it, Finey? Yeah, I think they will. I do think they will. I think okay. they've got I think I think they've got the fixture that enables them to, but more importantly, the mindset. Why not? Just look at Archie Perkins. People have been saying that the Essendon youngsters, maybe the seasons a long season first up might find them out. That was his best game of league footy so far. No, I think they've got the will and more importantly, the personnel to do it. Well, they've certainly got a game coming up next week, which they should be able to win. It is against North Melbourne at Marvel Stadium next Sunday afternoon, 1.10pm. The Crows, well, they return to, uh, I guess, friendlier turf, if you like, Adelaide Oval. They have a home clash against West Coast, 4.40pm Eastern Standard Time for that one next Sunday afternoon. All right, there's Thursday and Friday dispatch with. Let's talk about Saturday. First game on the Saturday card down in Tassie in Launceston saw Hawthorne up against Fremantle. Certainly hasn't been a happy hunting ground for the Dockers this venue. 
Uh, 12 previous appearances there for just the one win. And that win, indeed, not coming until about three days after the final siren. Of course, the infamous siren gate game back in 2006. And that wasn't even against the Hawks. It was against St Kilda. So uh, the history wasn't good for the Dockers. However, it was a day for rewriting the history books. Really impressive performance from the Dockers against a disappointing Hawthorne, it's got to be said. And the final margin, in the end, 62 points. Uh, healthy scoreline for Fremantle. 16 goals, 12, 108. Convincing winners over the Hawks, just 6, 10, 46. The goal kickers, four goals to Rory Lobb. Three to Banfield, two to Mundy, two to Switkowski, two to Tracy, singles to Akers, Fife and Walters. For the Hawks, Jaker two, Kaczynski two, singles to Moore and Warple. Just two goals for the Hawks after half time to the Dockers eight. And uh, Fremantle, well, Hawthorne actually had a pretty good opening 10 minutes, and I think everyone started thinking, oh, well, it's going to be another one of these no-shows by Freo. But after that, they really took over. And, in fact, uh, so effectively that by quarter time, they already had close to a four-goal lead, and they just built on that steadily. The big guns really stood up. They smashed the Hawks in midfield. The possession counts very healthy indeed. For the Dockers, they ended up with the likes of Brayshaw with 32 touches. Nat Fife playing his 200th game. What a champion he's been. He had a ripper. 31 touches for him. 30 to Mundy and 30 to Sarong. So there you go. Four players with uh, post-30 possession totals. Hawthorne just didn't have the armoury to hit back. It was a pretty young side for the Hawks and certainly wasn't helped uh, by the late withdrawal of Blake Hardwick. And then losing a couple of key players through the course of the game. Scrimshaw with concussion. And Jaff, unfortunately, hurting his knee. Looks like he will now miss the rest of the season. So, uh, really good win by the Dockers, Fonny. I know you tipped them and I didn't. So, uh, feel free to lord it over me in your take on this game. Well, to be fair to Hawthorne, halfway through that third quarter, they were only 11 points behind. And look, Jeff, how important is he to that team? I mean, he sort of stands as the intercept mark off the back line and also a lot of drive as well. They're a, a team in development, Hawthorne, and unfortunately for them, the development at this stage has been, well, during the season there were moments, but it looks like it's going to be a gradual climb up the ladder for the Dockers. Uh, when Fife is on fire, and he was on fire, gee, he marked the ball beautifully. Mundy getting the ball, such a beautiful user. Interestingly, Sarong, who's normally plays a run with role or at least has responsibility for another midfielder from the opposition, he was allowed to run free. He looked very good. Brayshaw, fantastic. Interesting that the big ticket item at Fremantle in terms of trade interest, Adam Chera less impressive of the five. And that, I guess, might sound some warning bells for anybody wanting to put a million-dollar tag on his head. Seems a bit crazy. Up forward, I like Josh Tracy's development. One thing about Tracy, except for a, a terrible slip when he had a shot at goal in the third quarter, which 
will make the comedy reels at the Brownlow this year. He's a beautiful set shot at goal, so he was great. But it was all set up by Rory Lobb in the first quarter and three goals to the big man, and they were off to the races. So, yeah, Fremantle had the quality on the field. And except for that, look, except for one goal by Jacob Kaczynski in that third or maybe in the last quarter, actually, often intercept off a mark. That was it for a quarter and a half for Hawthorne and very uncharacteristic for them down in Tassie to be run over so convincingly. We saw them earlier in the year do exactly the same to Adelaide, but that being done to them in Tassie, unusual. Yeah, their record down there isn't nearly as uh, convincing as it was. I was just going to say, Rory Lobb, you know, he runs high on confidence, but when it's up, he is a really, really difficult player to counter, isn't he? He's marking at the moment the last few weeks has been... Terrific. He's a lovely kick at goal. And, um, yeah, they, they look a lot more potent up forward. Uh, you're right about Tracy too, perhaps. Uh, you know, that, that doesn't even mention Matt Tabata. So perhaps from a side that's been notorious for its lack of goal-scoring power, this is the factor that might make them a more serious competitor. Um, you still think they're a, a chance for the eighth? I, look, I, I have struggled to take them seriously as a finals contender. Their run home is pretty difficult, but uh, their best is pretty reasonable. They do have a difficult run home. And, I mean, now that St Kilda has put their hand up as a contender for the finals, it might be difficult, and it could, if both of those teams continue to win, come down to a, a final round encounter between those two sides, which favours St Kilda because it's at Marvel Stadium. But at least for the Dockers... And, and you know what? It's interesting. When we look at a ladder at the end of the season, Rowan, we might say, well, let's say if the Dockers fall away, we'll, we might say a disappointing year for the Dockers. But really, the true mark of how a team has gone is how long they are in contention for a spot in the eight. That's really the length of a team's relevant season. The rest is sort of footballing junk time. So most importantly, they still go to training during the week and prepare for games aiming at a spot in the eight. And that means that they're playing meaningful football. So well done on that score. Well, their prospects may well and truly be sorted out by Thursday evening because they are drawn to play Geelong in Perth, Optus Stadium, 8.10pm Eastern time, Thursday evening, that game. And uh, that is a great test of just how far they have come. Geelong always very solid opposition. The Hawks, meanwhile... Well, they want to give a better account of themselves than they did in that game, definitely. And uh, no easy task, that, because they are up against Melbourne. 4.35pm Saturday afternoon. That is the Saturday Twilight game. All right, that was the first of three games on the Saturday agenda. Let's talk about the one in the middle. The Saturday Twilight game at the MCG, it was between Carlton and Geelong. Played in an almost eerie backdrop of a misty midwinter's Saturday afternoon. Uh, not sure the greasy conditions helped the standard of footy much. It was pretty dour stuff for much of proceedings. In the end, a very comfortable 26-point win to the Cats, and yet... Could have been so much different, but for some appalling inaccuracy by the Blues, who at one stage in this game were one goal 13. 
the final scores, Geelong 10-10-70, defeating the Blues 5-14-44 points. The goal kickers for the Cats, two to Zach Tui, the milestone man, and uh, terrific performance from him in this game. Singles to Radigalia, Buse, Smith, Parfit, Rowan, Higgins, Stanley, and finally, my boy, the East Melbourne lad, Maxie Holmes, broke his duck finally after missing one he should have kicked earlier on, got his first goal for the Cats. Well done, Max. And for the Blues, two to Walsh, two to Mackay, and one to Petrovsky. Seated. Well, another of those sort of games to the Blues, finding uh, ifs and buts and could have beens, but they just couldn't hit the target. You're not going to win games of footy with a scoreline of one goal 13. Oh, Rowan, if ifs and ands were pots and pans, owed to be a tinker. You familiar with that one? But that is exactly how Carlton would have felt. Mackay profligate in front of goal until he kicked a goal, their second goal only late in the third quarter to finally force the goal umpire at their end to put up two arms after the only goal had been Petrovsky Seaton running on his own into the goal square. You know, Mackay's misses, Walsh missing, Nunes missing, goals that they really need to get to possibly beat a team like Geelong. And this was a chance for Carlton. Two wins in a row previously, meeting the Cats, and this is a Geelong team that had to go in without a number of key players headlined by Selwood and Duncan and the like. It was a chance for Carlton, a huge opportunity. And they fluffed their lines not for the first time. It was the third quarter, really, where Geelong was able to get some consecutive goal action that saw that fire extinguished for the Hawks, for the um, Blues, I should say. Gary Rowan, who'd taken a magnificent mark in the second quarter, but uncharacteristically missed a goal, kept uh, his end of the bargain up by splitting the sticks after a good mark in the third quarter. And there were also goals to Parfit. Look, Close was instrumental on a couple of occasions. Young Max Holmes, you said, had a chance earlier. Oh, gee, do you see the greasy he got from Tom Hawkins, who was in the goal square and wanted the handball. But Max was actually good, lively, very fast and... He's one of those sneaky tall players. I'm not quite sure how tall Max is. I reckon he's six foot two, six foot three in the old, but he certainly plays an on-ball role. He's tallish and he's going to be a very good player. Again, I'll tell you what, why did Carlton let Tui and Henderson go? That was a head scratcher that had been scratching all night because they both played good games and Tui, hugely popular, was fantastic in that milestone game, wasn't he? He was. Uh, Gee, Geelong's back line is good. I mean, Tui, terrific. But uh, we say it nearly every week. But Tom Stewart, he's such a great reader of play. The number of times he intercepted and, and then generated a bit of run and then thumped it forward. The other thing, observation about Geelong, look, they can be tedious to watch at times when they play that keepings off brand of footy. And it made me think it's not just about... Um, denying the opposition the footy. It's the amount of time that that consumes on the clock. And, uh, you know, Geelong will uh, hang on to the ball and sort of work it down the field. And it goes from end to end. And all of a sudden they've chewed up about three or four minutes off the clock. And, um, you know, it clearly works for them, controlling that tempo. 
But it just, it denies the opposition the ball, not just because they have possession, but just because they just take an eternity. Uh, they take as long as they like with the footy. And uh, I mean, Carlton's ended up with sub 40 inside 50s, 38 inside 50s for the game. Uh, it's not like, what I'm saying is you don't get that many opportunities to do anything against the Cats. So when you have the ball, you have to make it really count. And obviously one goal, 13 isn't making it count. I must admit, I, I did look at the Cats and the way they're playing and think, gee, I don't know, is that going to hold up? I mean, they are very much a team, and if it's on their terms, every every chance of going all the way, if they have to play to another side's marching beat, if you like, I think they could be in a bit of trouble. But still got a lot of respect for them. There's some wonderful players in that side. The old blokes continue to stand up. Look, for the Blues' point of view, big pluses again. Sam Walsh is an old, an old young guy, Sam Walsh. He's just he's got such an old head on young shoulders. And Wiedering's game on Tom Hawkins, uh, got to give that raps. That was a sensational effort. Gee, he, those two young blokes have turned into such dependable players. Um, absolutely sensational stuff. Beyond that, now, I don't know, I'm still not convinced about the quality going down the bottom end of that 22. Um, where do you see the Cats in premiership terms, Forty? Just off the pace, but if they get the band together, you see, it's not just a matter of getting all the players on the field. I mentioned Selwood. We're not going to see Duncan, we don't believe. And, of course, uh, Jeremy Cameron so important to their grand final or premiership aspirations. I just feel, probably as you do, just by the way you're speaking, that the cards need to fall a certain way for them. And that way is probably not going to happen. What is it? Three wins in a row in the finals, but you never know. Look, their big bogey team, Richmond may not be able to deliver the knockout blow that they've done to the cats in recent years in the finals. So just the fact that maybe that Richmond's not there, or if they avoid Richmond, for the first week and Richmond was, say, knocked out. That could add to their confidence levels. Well, uh, a big test for the Cats next week. Got to go to Perth. Uh, quick turnaround. Thursday night in Perth, up against the Dockers, 8.10pm, Optus Stadium, Thursday evening. And as for the Blues, well, they've got the uh, clash of traditional rivals and uh, that phrase, no matter where they are on the ladder, and it's certainly applicable this time because they're both down the arse end of it. It is Collingwood taking on Carlton, 3.20pm Sunday afternoon at the MCG. Let's see if the Blues can get back on the winner's list. One game left on the Saturday card and it was up in Queensland. Well, 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 this was a turn up. Brisbane taking on St Kilda. Importantly, not at the Gabba, at Metricon Stadium, of course. Uh, COVID restrictions less in order uh, down the coast. So the Lions playing away from their home ground, still in their home state, however. But that didn't count for anything because it was a terrific win to your Saints, Finey, by 32 points in the end. Going away in the final quarter, power pack final term, five goals to one. The final score, St Kilda 14-11-95, defeating Brisbane 8-15-63. That inaccuracy plaguing the lines as well. The goal kickers, 
three to King, two to Burns, two to Membry, two to Steele, singles to Billings, Connolly, love saying that name, Crouch, Long, and McKenzie, four the Lions, three to Zorko in his milestone game, singles to Archie, Bailey, Birchall, Danaher, and McStay. But the bad news hasn't ended there, Finey, because a terrible loss, and uh, you can't overstate the significance of it either. Eric Hipwood, uh, done and dusted for the season, looks like it may be the full catastrophe a anterior cruciate ligament, which would mean a reconstruction and most of next season out of the game, let alone this one. So a really, really costly evening for the Lions. And uh, it's a fine line, isn't it? They have been playing some wonderful footy. They've looked in form. They've looked to have ironed out any kinks. And uh, I've been spending most of the week thinking they are a serious, serious flag chance. And Look, they might still be too, but gee, it just got a lot harder with that very critical injury to that great key forward, Eric Hipwood. You know, Hipwood, we observe, does not consistently kick goals for Brisbane, but we saw in very quick order how important he is to that team because when he went off the ground, their forward line became dysfunctional and Tom Highmore in his first year of AFL football from that point on was almost the best player on ground. Six intercept marks, many other possessions and basically allowed to just roam around and do as he pleased. Structurally, they are going to have to replace Eric Hipwood and I don't know whether that's um, Connor Ballenden or who, who actually gets the nod but they need more height in that forward line to prevent teams from doing what St Kilda did via Highmore. Look, I sent a, a tweet out after the game and it's got a fantastic response, hundreds of likes, etc. And it read along the lines of Highmore, Webster, McKenzie, Dunstan, Burns, amongst St Kilda's best in their best win or one of their best win for years. Who could have imagined it? Funny game football. None of those players would have been in anybody's thoughts of St Kilda's best 22 going into the season, Rowan. Well, it's been a quick uh, change of perception, hasn't it? Because it seems to me like literally only a month or so ago, we were absolutely questioning St Kilda's depth and uh, talking about recruiting strategies gone wrong and they were shallow and there was nothing emerging. And, And you're right. I mean, was it always there and we just refused to see it? Well, you have to give players an opportunity at senior level, don't you? Tom Highmore's only, what, in his 10th game or 11th game of league football thereabouts. He's a really nice intercept mark. He's going to play for many years. And players like Dunstan, McKenzie and Webster have been on the scene for a while. But let's be fair, they haven't had a consistent run of AFL football. And at various times, all those three players have been touted as decent footballers, particularly Webster and Dunstan. And... But those two boys are also playing for their football livelihoods, reignited, and they've both got years left in the game at St Kilda or elsewhere. So from that perspective, I guess opportunity is something that provided the impetus for more depth at the club. It's something Brett Ratton said at the start of the year, actually, because St Kilda have been injury-plagued from the pre-season onwards. And he said, no, it's not a problem. It's just going to open the door for somebody else. And I guess St Kilda 
had to hold their nerve. And let's be frank, they should have beaten Adelaide and Sydney in the two games before their last three wins, and they would be safely ensconced in the eight. Good news for St Kilda was Max King kicking three goals on Harris Andrews in the third, second quarter was instrumental in the win. And if you're outmarking Harris Andrews, you're playing pretty good football. So I know it was a big one-quarter burst by Max, and he took some marks in the first as well, didn't convert those. They were good signs. And for St Kilda, it's a tough run home, but if you can beat Brisbane and Queensland, you shouldn't be scared of anyone. Yeah, it was how stiff was King not to get a 50? He ended up kicking the goal anyway, but that one where it was like a wrestling Appalling. move. Harris Andrews just did, I don't know what you call it, the drop. You know, like he just, he decided to fall on him after King took the mark. How that was not 50 metres. You know what's that? Yeah. 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 No, I'm sorry for Buddy in. I was that upset by it because sometimes the umpire is better off keeping his mouth shut. Do you hear what the umpire said after that? Oh, yeah. He said he was still in the contest. Yeah. Mate, (laughs) sometimes just don't answer the question. Um, the the other thing I was going to say was, uh, gee, I, I liked Tim Membry. If I was a St Kilda fan, he'd be a real favourite of mine because his effort is always terrific. And now that, you know, they send him back for the last few minutes to stave off any oppos- late opposition goals. He's just, uh, he's a real honest, hard worker, Tim Membry. I, I reckon he's been great value for your, your boys. Every St Kilda supporter really likes Tim Membry and he's going to join... Probably Tom Harley. Um, do you remember? I'm sure you remember Ian Bremner. Yep. And Stephen Gillam as football's famous players who have played one game at a club and then gone and had great careers elsewhere. Let's hope he follows the other three and becomes premiership players. <laughs> That's a good stat. Uh, all right, uh, what's on the cards for either of those teams next week? Well, they've both got big games. Uh, Brisbane, um, this is going to be tough for the Lions away from home against Richmond Friday night at the MCG. Tough ask for them at a ground which hasn't necessarily been that kind to them. And your Saints finally play Port Adelaide at Marvel Stadium, 7.25pm Saturday night. And Rowan, look, it would be remiss of us. It was a bad night for Brisbane, a good one for St Kilda, but Dane Zorko in his 200th game had held high. He had a very good game, hit the scoreboard, and it's been a great career for a player that the Gold Coast could have had, but they said, no, not interested. I sort of think when they went through a list of other players not drafted that they were eligible to take. Was it done alphabetically and they got sick and tired of looking at the list by the letter X or Y? Yeah, no, he's been a a fantastic player for that club for a long period of time now. Uh, All right, that was Saturday. Three games to be played on the Sunday. Let's discuss them. Well, the first game on Sunday, uh, you could say fairly unusual circumstances surrounding it, played in Ballarat, played at 12.40pm on a Sunday afternoon and played between the nominal home team, Greater Western Sydney and Gold Coast. And you could also argue the result was a bit unusual because the Suns got up and won. They followed up arguably the best win in their history over Richmond with another really meritorious victory in difficult conditions. A very, very strong breeze 
favouring one end somewhere in the order of four or five goals. It was worth uh, a real return to the old days. It was a scrappy game, not particularly attractive, but uh, who knows how much damaged under GWS's finals hopes. The final score, Gold Coast 10-5, 65, outlasting the Giants 9-10-64. The goal kickers for the Suns, two to Sexton, two to Day, two to Miller, singles to Atkins, Burgess, Rowell and Swallow. And for the Giants, three to Toby Green, certainly led from the front again, did everything he possibly could. Two to Himmelberg, singles to Whitfield, Hill, Lloyd and Finlayson. Thrilling finish in this game, Finey. Um, the Giants certainly defended staunchly against the Breeze in that last quarter and looked like they'd just about done enough. Matt Rowe kicked a goal, bounced one through to bring the Suns within a kick with about three and a half minutes left. Um, and then David Swallow actually missed uh, from point-blank range but pushed in the back as he kicked. So a resultant free kick, putting the Suns up by a point with still two minutes, 42 Left on the clock. And then both sides did their best to throw it away. Uh, Jack Bowes kicking out in the full in defence for the Suns. Toby Green shot falling short and no Giants players there for the mark. Charlie Ballard taking a mark. And uh, then literally, as the siren blow, Phil Davis kicking into goal, but uh, over the heads of two teammates. And uh, a clearing punch as the siren rang to the Suns. Jubilation, really exciting stuff, even if the standard wasn't terrific. Um, a great win, Finey. You've got to give the Suns their dues for that one. Absolutely. You know, ourselves included three or four weeks ago, well, particularly before the last fortnight, we're again questioning whether or not Gold Coast's lack of ability to finish off a season is endemic and something that really can only be changed by a real big change of personnel and maybe coach, but full credit to Stuart Dew and his men and Stuart Dew in particular would be very pleased with the last two weeks because that will cement his position as senior coach. I've got to ask you, was that free kick to swallow contentious? Wasn't much of a push in the back for mine. I mean, technically, well, maybe, but I thought he missed it all of his own accord. Uh, no, I, I've got to be honest. I thought it was pretty blatant, really. He, yeah, he did, yeah, I well, thought he said. pushed him square. And, you know, the obvious comparison, uh, apart from the end result, was Malcolm Blight getting pushed in the back that muddy day at Arden Street in 1977. Yeah. Fortunately, Swallow didn't kick this one out in the fall. But, no, I, I thought it was there, definitely. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, maybe 25 years and younger, you, you people wouldn't have seen a game of football in the wind at the highest level. It's great. It's exciting. You have to factor in, of course, the wind. So at three-quarter time, Gold Coast were in a very good position to win the game, but they weren't able to really take advantage of that wind until very late in the quarter. And full credit to GWS, actually very staunch in defence. But ultimately, they did get that lead. And how about the kick by Toby Green? Because off the boot, it looked like it was going through for a goal. But again... When you're on Mars, things can happen. And the wind blew and blew favourably for Gold Coast, who really, full credit to them, they're playing the season basically without a ruckman. That's very difficult. And to be able to 
take away a finals berth, a finals position after the round, because GWS would have been in the eight tonight, from a side with plenty to play for, shows that Gold Coast have got their heads screwed on. Again, Bo's brilliant. I thought Will Powell was very good back in defence as well. Well, hang on a tick. You mentioned the ruck. Let's give a shout-out to Burgess, because I thought he was really good for Manful. Yep, absolutely. Mumford and Sons didn't play the tune that GWS would have liked, did he? Oh, yeah, sorry. No, yeah, no, very good. Very good, Mumford. I've been waiting for that. And without Matt Rowell being the player that he was prior to the injury, and we know he's going to be a great footballer, wasn't it great to see Matt Rowell step up for that goal that really, until he kicked that goal, I thought GWS was certainly going to hang on. So full credit to him. Not a great game, but having a big say in the finish row. Yeah, well, uh, who wants that eighth spot? I mean, uh, it just seems like... Anytime someone moves into the top eight, uh, it's like the curse of the top eight. It's uh, it's just bizarre how it turns out. And now the Giants, uh, with that result, slip down to 10th. Um, so we're in the eight, now 10th. Uh, they've got their work cut out for them. And uh, particularly next week. Now, this game, we still don't know where it's going to be. Uh the Giants were seeking to have it played uh, in Canberra, but you'd think now that's unlikely given Victoria now just declaring a hard border closing uh, on New South Wales. So the Giants scheduled to play Sydney, who uh, were also terrific today. So uh, they've got their challenges, the Giants, to uh, get back inside the eight and they may come to rue this particular loss and indeed the Wonder Hawthorne a couple of weeks ago, sandwiched in between those costly defeats, of course, knocking off the ladder leader. So how do you account for the Giants' form line at the moment? <laughs> that is bizarre. As for Gold Coast, well, they uh, well they go from strength to strength, but uh, this one, pretty tough for them, scheduled to play the Western Bulldogs uh, Saturday twilight, 4.35pm. So... Interesting clash, the Giants and the Suns in regional Victoria, but it certainly delivered its share of thrills and spills. The second Rowan, game, just very, very quickly, we've yep. got to mention Hugh Greenwood, oh, which yes. has got a suspect. Well, they are almost conceding an ACL. We're having a terrible run of these in the last few weeks, right? Yes, they are. And uh, yeah, all the best to him. Don't like seeing those serious injuries to anyone. All right, that was the opener on Sunday. The main course about to be served. Marvel Stadium mid-afternoon saw a mouth-watering clash between uh, two of the, well, best-performed sides of 2021 and two of the best-to-watch sides of 2021. It was the Western Bulldogs and Sydney. Uh, The Bulldogs certainly starting favourites, but the Swans not to be discounted. And certainly not a couple of hours later because they had a terrific win over the Bulldogs, one which uh, helped cement their spot in the top eight and one which cost the Doggies top spot, Melbourne, back on top after this result. The final score, Sydney, 11 goals, 13-79, defeating the Bulldogs, 8-12-60. The goal kickers, three to Jordan Dawson, Surprise leading goal kicker for the Swans, bobbing up uh, particularly early and doing some damage. Two to Haywood, singles to Amati, 
with one of the best soccer half volleys you will ever see. Unbelievable goal. Bell, Florent, Heaney, Parker and Franklin. And all singles to the Bulldogs. To Bruce, Daniel, Richards, Scott, Smith, Wallace, Young and English. Well, Finey, uh, Sydney... A goal to the good at quarter time, and uh, they just held the Bulldogs at arm's length. No mean feat keeping uh, such a prolific scoring team to just 60 points for the day, and they defended brilliantly, the Swans. They got right up in the doggies' noses. At no stage did the doggies look capable of getting that running, flowing, overlap game of theirs going off half-back. They really did defend brilliantly, team defence right across the ground, but really pushing up high too and regularly pinning the Bulldogs in their back line where the doggies got increasingly jittery and started to make some uncharacteristic ball handling errors uh, led by the likes of Rampy, terrific in defence, uh, but their midfielders also terrific. Mills, Parker, uh, good game from Heaney. Uh, look, the Dogs had their decent players too. Uh, Alex Keith, good for them in defence. But this was a wonderful performance from the Swans. And again, you know, we talked about that youthful exuberance and dash early in the season. Then it became more of a slog for them and the senior players started to stand up. And I feel like right now, finally, they've got the perfect balance of both those young guys contributing and the senior players. And uh, they are looking increasingly capable of doing some damage in the finals. Really impressive win for mine. How did you see it? Brilliant. Brilliant. And they now must be hoisted into the discussion of who will be premiers in 2021. They sit outside the top four, but they've got a few weeks to make that ground up. And indeed, I think they can and will, as long as they continue to have a pretty intact list to choose from. And that is a bit of a luxury at this time of the year. You can see the teams around them certainly being impacted by injury, but that can quickly change and they've taken advantage of what they have at their behest. That besides, their game plan is superb. They understand their opponents and they certainly understand what makes the Bulldogs dangerous. The Bulldogs are deadly on turnover. Absolutely cut you to ribbons. But if you can maintain possession and guarantee that when the Bulldogs have the ball, you are able to set up behind the play, then, of course, it's far more difficult for the doggies to get that run-and-gun game going. Very much reliant on pressuring the team they're playing into opposition, uh, the opposition into mistakes. So well done, Sydney, for being able to resist that. Also, a backline of Sydney's that, to be honest, isn't much vaunted. McCart, we know, is good. But we've pondered during the year, haven't we, Rowan, as to the wisdom of letting Alira Lear go. There have been times that looked like they needed that extra tall backman. Well, they're performing really well at the moment. McCartan's just fantastic. Ramsey, we know, is good. And he's starting to play really good football again, maybe down for a couple of weeks earlier on in the season. And the support they get from Tom Hickey floating back into the back line is immeasurable. How many times was he there to offer support for high balls? So they've got all of that covered. And as for the doggies, well, they certainly miss Norton, but I want to get your take. I reckon Jamara Hagen. Had he been able to make his debut in one of those easy kill games for Bulldogs, he would have had goals on the board. He doesn't look out of place at AFL level, but what a hard game to make your debut in. 
It was tough. It was like any time he got his hands on the footy, he just got beset upon. He nearly kicked that first goal of his career, uh, well, twice in the one passage of play. One uh, just sort of not coming off the boot properly and then one just sort of touched on the line. But um, a great little handoff uh, in the last quarter, which uh, earned, ended up earning them a goal. So, yeah, look, at um, there's been a heap better debuts, obviously, but there's been a lot worse. I thought you could see exactly yep. why he is such an exciting conveyance for him. I'll tell you what is exciting for him, talking about the Swans. They're a game off top four. They're, they are a serious chance of getting a top four spot. Obviously, one of the sides above them has to stumble, but from here... They've got the Giants. We still don't know where that game is. They've got Fremantle at the SCG. Not easy, but that, that's star favourite. They've got Essendon at Marvel Stadium. That's 50-50 for mine. St Kilda at Marvel. I think that's 50-50. And the last two games, they've got North Melbourne and the Suns. Uh, the Suns at home. So um, someone above them even wobbles slightly. The Swans are not only going to make the finals, but uh, quite possibly as a top four team. And that would be an incredible achievement. Would you think that they would still make top four if they cannot play any of those games in Sydney? I mean, this lockdown could be one of these, like Melbourne's lockdown three that went for four months after supposedly being six or eight weeks. It could drag on. I know it's a really good point, actually. So uh, of the last six, two scheduled for the SCG, the one against Fremantle, and the one against Gold Coast. Uh, gee, the Dockers one, where that played would be crucial. Surely they'd played in Melbourne, um, which I think could still give Sydney the edge, yep. but not as big an edge. And yeah, the definitely. Suns, they'd start warm favourite anyway. But yeah, no, look, it's it's clearly going to be a factor, I think. Uh, so yeah, that game against the Giants, crucial game as far as top eight goes. And uh, we still don't know where it'll be. We do know at this stage anyway, that it'll be 1.45pm on Saturday afternoon. And the Doggies, they go up to Metricon Stadium to play Gold Coast, who will be riding high after uh, two of the better wins in their not particularly storied history. So interesting stuff indeed. One game left on the Sunday card, and it was uh, between a couple of traditional old-style rivals. Well, it wasn't the most attractive time slot uh, 4.10pm Sunday afternoon, but a pretty dramatic turn of events in this game and huge ramifications for the balance of power in the AFL. I'm talking about the meeting of Richmond and Collingwood, one which, as expected, the Tigers led pretty comfortably for three quarters. Indeed, at three-quarter time, uh, about three and a half goals in front of the Tigers. And on the live ladder at that moment, they were sitting in seventh spot. And things are looking okay. Well, 30 minutes later, the Tigers' season in tatters and Richmond 12th on the ladder after an amazing last quarter from Collingwood who scored 7-2 to 1-2 in the final term. The Magpies slamming on more goals in the last quarter than they had in the previous three. The final scores, a 16-point win to the Pies. 13 goals, 9, 87, defeating Richmond, 11, 
5.71. The goals, three to Jamie Elliott, two to Josh Thomas, two to Darcy Cameron, singles to Pendlebury, Myacek, Adams, Dugowie and Murphy. For the Tigers, three to Lynch, two to Baker and singles to Collier Dawkins, Bolton, Martin, Rewalt, Castagna and Pickett. Well, amazing stuff, Fonny. Richmond did really appear to have the game in control. Um, but the first goal of the last quarter to Darcy Cameron just sparked an avalanche. Jamie Elliott next reduced Richmond's lead to just nine points. And then another one to Adams. Uh, the crowd now working up to fever pitch. Dugowie put the pies in front. Murray got his first career goal to extend that lead to nine points. Grundy made it 15 points. Uh, bit of a fight back from the Tigers with a goal to Lynch still in it with four and a half minutes left. But a uh, dribbler from Josh Thomas with under two minutes left on the clock closed the deal for the Pies. And uh, they just ran all over the Tigers in that last quarter, finally. They had 46 more uncontested possessions in that fourth quarter alone. Seven goals to one. Dominated the centre bounce takeaways. And Richmond looked very much in the last couple of minutes like a side that knew the gig was up. Incredible stuff. It really was. I, I, if you're a Richmond supporter, a bit nervous at three-quarter time, maybe thinking that, well, have a look at what Collingwood did last week, sizzle home against St Kilda. I reckon you would have been right, right to be worried because in that third quarter... Collingwood did do a lot of huffing and puffing and getting the ball into scoring positions without actually fulfilling the contract. So I felt that even though Richmond seemed to have the answers, there was some danger. Now, as far as the Tigers are concerned, we know their personnel well down. There's plenty of players not playing. But to be in that position against an equally sort of inexperienced Collingwood side and not be able to finish things off was very much unlike anything we've seen from Richmond in this wonderful four or five years that they have had. And the reason it was so unlike Richmond that we understand is because Collingwood moved the ball so easily. Where was Richmond's territorial positioning that has been the trademark of how hard it is to get the ball forward against them? There were a number of passages of play that started in the Collingwood back line that ended up with Collingwood getting over the top and getting goals. And I was just shocked at how lax Richmond were cutting that off as they have so traditionally done across the you know, you know, across that centre line with backs pushing up and making it almost impossible to clear their defences for other teams. Very different to what we're used to from the Tigers, Rowan. Yeah, and look, the more I look at it, the more I think the gradual erosion of their depth has really come home to roost this year. I mean, the, the loss of Dan Curvis has just been massive for them. But even the young guys coming through, like I thought, I watched Collier Dawkins do a couple of really nice things, kicked a lovely goal, a couple of little nice touches early in the game. And I thought, well, he's gradually finding his feet. But in that last quarter, he had nothing left in the tank. Gee, there are a lot of Richmond players who looked out on their feet. And you have to think part of that physical, but part of it also psychological, is like the realisation has crept in for them that uh, they are not the side they were and other sides 
uh, are smelling a bit of blood now. If they can stay close to the Tigers, uh, they've been proved to be mortal. And I think other sides are feasting on that. And I think the Pies certainly did that themselves. And um, real good signs for them. I mean, I don't know if they're last quarter specialists now, but gee, their last two fourth quarters have been fantastic. And uh, it's all about the way they move the footy, isn't it? When uh, they get a bit of confidence and get a bit of flow in their game, um, they can score as well as anyone and 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 look as slick as anyone. And uh, terrific game by them. I thought Taylor Adams, outstanding. Dugowie, big factor for them. And, uh, you know, certainly showed his class in that last quarter. Maynard, geez, become a great player for them in defence. And Jamie Elliott, all class. They've really missed that class of his when he's been out injured. So the senior players really stood up. Jack Crisp, the other one too. He, he was a, a terrific player for him today. So the senior players stood up. Uh, you can't say the same about all of Richmond's senior players. There's a couple of uh, names in, well, Cochin, Rewalt. Uh, not quite what they were at the moment. That's uh, really... Unfortunately for Trent Cogsian, being exemplified and, and almost whilst you don't put the blame at his feet over the last two or three weeks, you do need players to step up when you consider that they've got no press here. There's a number of players out. We know Edwards is out, Pasha Hooley is out, et cetera, et cetera. You've got to have maximum output from your experienced fit players and Trent Cogsian's real inability to get enough of the ball and have an impact on the game, unfortunately, will be highlighted during the week. Just want to say a couple of things about the Magpies. Isn't Darcy Cameron a good mark? As you pointed out, that goal that started then in the last quarter was important, but it came in a pack-making situation where he really wasn't in the frame until he put those big mitts of his up. And he has proved to be a surprisingly effective second ruckman forward for the Pies. So well done to Darcy Cameron. And young Trent Bianco, you'd be happy that that team won because he had a shot of goal in the last quarter and he should have handballed off. And I'll just say, you know, you'd, you'd maybe afford him some slack. It was only his, what, sixth or seventh game of league football, but it wasn't his sixth or seventh game of football. And he knew that running towards the goal, it was all Collingwood. And rather than handball to Elliot in the goal square, or might have been Thomas, I'm not sure, he chose to go alone. So good for him that the team won and that doesn't get highlighted on the video recap by the coaches during the week as a match loser. All right, well, the uh, the Tigers now a game outside the eight in 12th spot and, uh, well, it could be all over for them. Well, it could be all over for them now, but uh, it might absolutely be over for them a fortnight from now because over the next two weeks they've got Brisbane, and then they've got Geelong. And you reckon Geelong wouldn't uh, mind being the side that officially extinguishes the Richmond era after the September issues, or October last year, the issues Richmond have given Geelong at the pointy end of a season. So, uh, boy, uh, massive test for the Tigers to bounce back now. They've got Brisbane next Friday evening at 7.50pm. Uh, as for the Pies, well... Um, They've got a battle against uh, the old enemy, Carlton. So you reckon that would fire them up as well? That one's scheduled for 3.20 p.m. Sunday afternoon. Uh, that is, of course, all the games thus far in Round 17. There is still one to be played, however, 
It is tomorrow evening and it, has, it is at Optus Stadium between North Melbourne and West Coast. We've already previewed that one. We will, however, review it in next week's midweek episode. Still something left in this show, though, Finey, and uh, it's The Rant. On Footyology, The Rant of... Well, I've held off on this uh, particular issue, Finey, but I can take no more because it has just reached ridiculous proportions, the scale of this major issue in the game. And uh, I'm ready to rant my little ones out about it. Are you ready to count me in? Well, you know, Rowan, my cockles are cold, so warm them with a really ripping Roco rant at one, two, three, let's have it. I'm pissed off with goal kicking, Finey. Seriously, can it possibly get any worse than it is at the moment? Well, scarily, I think it actually could. It's bordering on farcical, some of the clangers going on when guys are aiming at the big sticks. And don't worry, this isn't just hyperbole. The past month has officially been the most inaccurate league football ever. Some of the scorelines right now resemble Gaelic football scores far more than they do AFL. In fact, if you'd stayed away from the telly and just saw them in print this weekend, you'd swear it was County Kerry taking on Galway, not Carlton playing Geelong. Actually, the way we're going, we're going to have a net between the goalposts just like they do in the Gaelic game soon. But ours won't be made of string. It'll just be the cobwebs growing between the goalposts, such as their lack of use. How's Carlton's effort against the Cats on Saturday? 1.13 at one stage. That's an accuracy rate of 7%. I suppose we should be grateful they actually managed 4-1 after that. It got so bad most of their players didn't want to take a shot for fear of adding to the embarrassment. Here's a sample, finally, of scorelines we've seen this season. Adelaide kicked 11-22 against Sydney. Fremantle had 11-21 the same weekend. St Kilda posted 5-17 in round nine. It was Richmond's 2-10 a couple of weeks ago. We've had 9-18... 8-16, that was the Dockers again, a 9-16, 9-17, and an 8-15. It's comical stuff. There's a belief that while other facets of the game have got better, goal kicking has always stayed about the same. But in recent times, it actually has got worse. I've done some number crunching, finally, and here's what I found. From the start of the VFL in 1897, right through until the 1970s, accuracy hovered around the 40-something percent mark which was hardly anything to boast about, but it did get better for a while. During the 1990s, we crept up into the mid-50% conversion rate. In fact, by 2000, we were up to an all-time high of 55.17%. But it's been all downhill from there, back to 54 point something, then 53, until by 2010, it was down to 52 and a half. And now, for the first time in 30 years, we're about to go under 52% again. Everyone's always looking for explanations. The most frequent is that forwards now have to do so much running, they're too buggered when they take their shots. Another favourite is that defence is so good now, we see more shots taken from difficult positions. Maybe there's something in both of those theories. What is just bloody stupid, though, is players not being given the time they need to practice their kicking a goal. They've said for years now they have to continually battle with their phys ed blokes to be given the time needed to work on their goal-kicking craft. But nothing seems to change. Perhaps it's time for a few senior coaches 
to tell the conditioning guys to stick their guidelines where the sun don't shine and let their players actually practice what is their bread and butter. I mean, it's not bloody rocket science, is it? What good is wrapping guys' hamstrings and groins in cotton wool so they can run all day if all that running just ends up with someone missing yet another sitter from 10 metres out? We try to make the game seem so bloody high-tech and super professional, and yet the one attribute you need more than any other to be able to kick goals has actually got worse? That doesn't sound too professional to me. No wonder people whinge about how the game looks. We can't score any more than we used to, more than 50 years ago. And then the modern player actually gets a chance and it's about a 50-50 bet he won't be able to hit the side of the barn. Yeah, but don't worry, Finey. At least they can get above 13 in a beat test. You're preaching to the converted here as a St Kilda supporter. I have seen some kicking a goal that, well, there were a couple of weeks there, honestly, and I said at any level, amateur degrade, the coach would be saying absolutely not good enough. So... It's amazing that at the top level, we cannot seem to get any level of improvement. Oh, it's bloody ridiculous. Surely we're reaching a tipping point. These scorelines are comical. And just one last comment. That was a beautiful image that you portrayed. I wondered where you were going with the nets behind the goals, but I love that take on the cobwebs. That was pretty. All right, Finey, that's my crack. Uh, what do you got for us? Now, I just want to preface before I start my rant, even though it certainly is not a rant about COVID, it does have some interrelationship with COVID that there's nothing funny about that terrible pandemic. And we've just noted the first passing in Australia, in New South Wales, in this new wave. This is by no means meant to make the light of that, but it is certainly not a dig or not aimed at COVID. It's a dig at something else. So let's go. Three, two, one, rant. Well, I read with interest at comments by Peter V. Apostrophe Landy's. I preferred, by the way, our own Peter Landy to this Volandy's version, that there may be a great likelihood because of the latest outbreak of COVID, the need for hubs in the NRL. And he has telegraphed the idea that those hubs may have to be in country Queensland or Victoria, Victoria, Victoria. Yes, that resonates with me. There is no way. Uh, Daniel Andrews has to close the borders to New South Wales for health reasons and to NRL for morality reasons. There is no way that we can allow an entire group of NRL players, the entire competition, into our state. We have got no idea what these people get up to because we are home to the mighty Melbourne Storm, a successful, proud, decent bunch of young men and women off the field who helped that be a reality. What a wonderful team the Melbourne Storm is, but what a mirage they are in terms of the true NRL. We cannot allow them within our confines. This state is not ready for the competition that has provided in 2001 the thumb in the bum or the finger up the sphincter, John Hopawate for West Tigers versus the Canberra Raided. In 2009, they had an incident called Hotel Pugate. I don't want to go into the sordid details, but suffice to say, Nate Miles couldn't find a single toilet in a multi-roomed hotel and use the corridor. 
In 2010, it was Joel Monaghan who thought it might be amusing to use social media to post pictures of himself having simulated intercourse with a pooch, a dog. It was the end of Monaghan's career, but the sort of behaviour that has you wringing your hands and scratching your head and wondering, well, at least things can't get worse for the NRL. Well, they certainly could. In a recent interview, Todd Carney said the following. Every time I go to a public toilet, I feel anxious. Every time you go to a public toilet, imagine for the people that are in there. The infamous Mr. Bubbler took the NRL to an unthinkable new low. I mean, when you're in the basement, how do you go lower? Well, Todd Carney, Todd Carney did it with the old bubbler. If you don't know what that means, don't look it up. Suffice to say, do we really want NRL to come here en masse in a hub? I haven't even begun to tell you stories of what used to happen in the pre-season camps of State of Origin. What happens in camp stays in camp. Believe me, you don't want it happening in Victoria. So for goodness sake, please, no NRL hub in Victoria. Send them to where they really should go. Van Diemen's Land or the Antarctic. Somewhere to cool their passions and keep them away from normal, decent people. <laughs> oh, harsh words, harsh words. And I'm glad you did uh, make that exception with the Melbourne Storm because... Uh, they are indeed a fine bunch of young men. In fact, I had a, uh, a brief Twitter conversation last night with uh, Cameron Welsh, finally, who weighed in on the issue of knee reconstructions and immediate treatment of it. I saw Eric Kipwood with the ice pack and wondered if maybe that was a good sign because if they decided it was a Rico, why would they bother? And Cameron just chipped in to tell me that, well, I've had two and uh, they do like to get the ice on it straight away to minimise swelling so they can do the operation as soon as possible. Uh, fine young man, and I appreciated his advice. So uh, all best, Cameron, uh, of course, doing some great work for Queensland in the State of Origin series currently as well. Uh, Just well, on that, Rowan. Yes. I'm glad you brought up Eric Hipwood. I found it really unusual, considering that everybody believes he's done his ACL, uh, Chris Fagan saying as much, that after the game, are we... A player is so um, desperate to get in amongst the other players from the opposition. He was out on the field, shaking hands and smiling and really just partaking in sort of the post-match nowadays ritual of being friendly to the opposition. He, he was met by a number of St Kilda players and I just thought, that's strange for a guy that's just done your ACL. Oh, he's uh, got a more philosophical take on things. Alex Rance was the, the same when he uh, did his. I, I like that. In fact, we haven't even mentioned uh, Patrick Dangerfield's big smooch on Eddie Betts. Oh, yeah. We have not. Now, that was something else. Oh, that, was <laughs> that, was, that was great. It was straight out of Hollywood. It was like the beach scene from Here to Eternity. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> it was indeed. <laughs> That is our uh, Round 17 review episode. Uh, some wonderful sponsors we need to thank. Of course, this podcast always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Whilst you're doing so, always remember to gamble responsibly. And what about our longest-term 
um, corporate sponsors, Finey. I'm giving them a kiss on both cheeks. And AFL style, that's on the face. Those cheeks on the face. How about our very lovable friends at Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. It's a great place to get a great hamburger. And an equally big kiss on the no, I was going to say on the mush on the cheek for Nick Spartels and his boys at West Point Properties because you'll be in an amorous mood when they provide you with the best house in the street. They're great builders, West Point Properties. And another big metaphorical kiss to Stats Insider, the best sports data analyst in the business, uh, working with more than 15 sports across the globe and sampling any sporting event more than 10,000 times to give you the best range of possible and probable outcomes. Also, some wonderful writing on their site. So check it out, statsinsider.com.au. Give them a follow on Twitter as well, at Stats Insider. You can give us a follow on Patreon, where for $7 Australian a month, you can become an official footyology patron, or you can uh, dip your hand in your kick and support us uh, right where you're listening to this podcast now on the ACAST supporter page. And uh, we are always very appreciative of your support. You've been a wonderful audience, and we love you all, as Jeff Finnick would say. That's it for this week. I uh, hope your side had a decent win. If I didn't, better luck next week. We'll be back with the midweek uh, round 18 preview edition. We'll see you then. Yeah.